If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You want to know what the best email marketing service is for your small business? Well, I've got the team for you. Emailtooltester.com is the place to find reviews and tutorials of newsletter services like ActiveCampaign, MailChimp, GetResponse, and many more. Download their free comparison spreadsheet that will help you find the best email marketing service among many providers. Just Google Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. Again, just Google it. Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Mentor Dial. Mentor is the author of the latest book he just wrote, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. Mentor has previously been on the show in episode 150, where we talked about his last book, Artificial Empathy, Putting Heart into Business and Artificial Intelligence. On the show today, we talk about leadership and what he means by you lead and how you can bring your true north, your authentic self, and be vulnerable as you lead your teams, your department, your company. And we talk about the implications to brand marketing and how marketing leaders should be taking some of these lessons away. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mentor Dial. Well, Mentor, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back on the show. It's really a great pleasure to chat and hang with you, Alan. 
I know. Well, you were here for those that are listening. Uh, Mentor was on episode 150, where we discussed his last book, Artificial Empathy. How are you doing? A long road, some days better than others, Alan. I, I've come to the point where my eternal, everlasting bunny rabbit of energy isn't always operating on full speed. And so what I've been trying to do is lean in to that and really be more cognizant of my own energies. So I can be more self-aware of when I'm becoming a little snipey and uh, otherwise I'm enjoying my life really. I'm, I mean, I'm trying to take advantage of the situation as a creative moment. Yeah, I can, I can, I think a lot of folks could empathize with your energy level, given that we're mostly living in lockdown houses and restricted in our movements. It's an interesting time. Everybody's having a chance to question themselves and, and to take new perspective. And I think that's what I'm trying to use this as a, you know, like to, I like to write. And so I'm using writing as therapy and, and reflecting on myself about who I am and checking in. Am I telling the truth? How, how, is it, how real and genuine is all this? Well, I want to say congrats on your latest book, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. What was the motivation for this book? So it's just like in the same idea, be yourself. How do you do that? And how much of you should you bring into work? We talk about authenticity and transparency, but is it about being radically transparent, radically empathic, and radically you, total you? So that was the question mark I had in my mind as I launched into this. But actually, I started writing this book in 2014. And at the time, I wanted it to be like the book of my life, like everything, full out work, personal, and everything in between. And uh, it took me a long time to uh, stew and come up with this line, which is to hopefully to change the way we lead, uh, not just in business, but ourselves. Because in the end of the day, if there's this huge lack of engagement, obviously the previous leader books haven't exactly figured that out. And then to understand how we can bring more of ourselves, feel engaged, fulfilled, and not bullshitting ourselves at work which hopefully has a knock-on effect of leading everybody else to want to be with you. Yeah. I mean, starting in 2014, it's roughly six years. Was there, was there a moment where it accelerated for you? It does seem like a long time, but I know other books people have written, not you, but other people that could take 10 years, 15 years sometimes. So I'm just curious if there was an unlock moment for you. Well, it's great. You know, like those more academic papers need a lot of research or things like that. No, this was the, the actually the thing that happened here was sort of Blocking moments, uh, blocking tackle. I had, I went off to Croatia, wrote 30,000 words, and I was like all excited, came back to my wife about it, and I really got a big slug of it. And all of a sudden, boof, something happened. And I had actually three big, loud bazooka moments blocking me or changing the course of my direction, which included a call from the television station, PBS, saying, Hey, Minter, your story's so great, let's put it on television. And clearly that wasn't part of what I was thinking. And, and you know, I was, wait, wait, well, I'm busy. I'm doing something else. No, 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 no. This actually takes preference. So I, I then put it on hold, went off that one. And then uh, a friend of mine killed himself. And that kind of took me on another path. And then, so I've had these different things that have happened. Anyway, I would say that the walk in Kensington Park with a friend of mine who had been published at Kogan Page was the catalyst to getting the contact with them. And they said, oh, that's a great idea. I really love it. And next thing you know, I had a publisher. And, and that happened, of course, before the old pandemic started. But. 
Well, let's get into, you started down this path and I stopped you. I apologize for the rabbit hole, but I want to talk about what you mean by you lead. You talked about authenticity, radically being yourself. Tell us a little bit more about what you mean by you lead. So I, I generally feel that everybody has leadership potential. And, but a lot of times you sort of like want to take away the responsibility and just listen to orders. And I, I feel like if there's such disengagement at work, something is not happening. So the sort of initial premise is you lead you and you need to be master of you, which essentially means at its heart, getting to know who you are and what matters to you. And so often we go through life, Alan, where we're doing what we're supposed to do and getting the title on the business card, getting the extrinsic ideas, doing following in my father's footsteps or not as a man, whatever. And um, we're not actually in touch with ourselves. And, And I think this is a particular challenge when you're successful, often male, you just think that this is the thing. And, and so the, the, what I'm trying to really grip into is to be in check with who we are as an individual. And then once we have that established, we get rid of some of the chips in the shoulders. We're more cognizant when we're being emotional and irascible and disagreeable and, and potentially more vulnerable. And then we can definitely model a behavior that the rest of the team might follow through with. I got it. And I mean, those sound like great things to do, like just to better know myself, to be more aware of my own <laughs> ticks and talks. So to speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why is this important for leaders, do you think? Well, on one hand, my feeling is that leadership is still wonky, if not uh, terribly wrong. And on the other hand, I think that as much as some people want to be authentic, it's they're not sure what they're being authentic about and why they're doing it. So it, very quickly, you can be put off the course. You can be doing something because you think it's good to do. Because it's like there's the narrative of being sustainable development is great, let's do it. But there's no real hook, anchor back into who you are. So we end up doing so many things because it's good to do. Oh, that sounds like a really smart idea. Let's do that. And by justifying and rationalizing all these smart ideas, we actually end up frustrating ourselves because we're going to not get to where we want to get to. So I feel like the issue is we've all been to university, a lot of us, or, you know, educated and we're reading, even if you haven't gone to university, it's fine. But with intellectual curiosity, we, we kind of think we know ourselves because we have that arrogance, maybe pretension to say, well, of course I know myself. I'm 56, Alan. God damn it. You're, how can you question me on who I am? But I think we have this sort of absolute ability to gloss over the details I'm an executive, I'm powerful, I'm, I'm excited, I'm, I'm confident, I'm curious. All right, fine. But that kind of describes everybody at some level. You know what I mean? It's sort of like these generic concepts that you want to project. But who are you deeply inside? And if you're excited about sustainable development, can you not attach it to something that's more relevant to you? For example, well, hopefully I'll have one day grandkids. Well, I'd like for them to live in an environment where, okay, well, that's at least a, a more personal hook as opposed to the intellectual exercise that was going to help our customers think that we're better people. I think that's great. That's a great idea. And it is intrinsically motivating at that point in time too, right? Exactly. Yeah. You discuss a lot of, about leadership and bettering yourself in the book, but you also highlight some very familiar marketing connections or concepts. And one of those is brand. And I'm curious how you think this approach of leadership is connected to a company's brand overall. So I'm going to tell you something I haven't told on any other podcast, and that is that the name of the book back in 2014 was Brand New. Oh, actually, Brand New. Sorry, Brand News. 
And so the idea of bringing out new stuff and you put that little red logo on the top left-hand corner to say, oh, this is new, how exciting. But actually the news, which is something I talk about in this book, is, is actually a navigational system, north, east, west, and south. So it's a play on, on words, of course. And so actually at its heart, what I think is important is that once you get to know who you are, you lead you, then the next step is what part of you is linked in with the brand on which you're working. And what happens, I get it so often, and especially in financial services. So where do you work? Oh, I work in financial services X. Okay. And what's, what's interesting about it? Wow, it's great. We've got this project. We're trying to rationalize this or make a new insurance product. And okay, so you're passionate about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is something you sought out after school. Well, no, it came to me. Oh, I see. So this is what you've done is just post-rationalized your interest in this insurance product that you're selling. And the idea is what part of me is being actualized by the work that I'm doing. And I talk about a meaningfulness scale where you have some things you can just say, well, that's really interesting because insurance companies were the companies that allowed for risk and adventure. That's how we explored the world, thanks to insurance companies. All right, great. And I love to be an explorer. Okay, that's better. I love to explore mountains. And if I could have insurance that allows me to do that to protect my children, my family, should I not come back? Okay, now we're getting somewhere. So there's a, a real hook into who you are, what's important, and, and how it's related to your legacy. And then afterwards, you can still go off and pragmatically sell small print insurance and screw people off left, right, and center as, as the insurance industry does in general. But too often, there's no real link between who you are legitimately off the pitch, if you will, in your home personal life and what you're doing professionally and move it from an intellectual exercise to a personal conviction. How do you connect? I mean, I think that's perfect in terms of like the alignment with you and the brand. How do you think about what then the brand, how the brand comes to life? Like, does it, uh, you know, whether that's through storytelling or maybe it's the personal brands of the leaders in the company? So this, the storytelling thing is, is kind of in the same vein, interesting, because I used to run a company and Every time we started the meeting of, or a type of meeting, like an uh, induction with all the new employees, I'd come down and I'd tell them the story of the beginning of the company. And you can either do that as an intellectual exercise. Well, the company was founded in 1960 by this hairdresser and, and she was really interesting and she did this and that and the other. Or you can connect in with that story at a personal level. So I'm going to start by telling you about my first time I ever went to a hairdressing salon and why this was important. And the person who spoke to me was a hairdresser that was using the products that we sell. And she had just this light in her eyes that just, it was energy. And I got really curious and she told me about this brand. And I, then I realized that selling shampoos can turn people from just a hairdresser into confident beings that are spreading light and happiness. I thought, oh, all right, well, that's, in, that's a more interesting version of the story because I personalized it. I rendered it real as opposed to just reading off a script as to what I'm supposed to stay in the story. So what I, I feel is that being in touch with yourself, and it doesn't have to be like a hundred percent overlap. And I think that's one of the, I, I, I try to do a lot of nuancing and then some people say, well, that's like every consultant. But the reality is that we're not doing enough of that work on ourselves. And then that's on a, on a personal level. And then at a brand level, do we really understand that the, the values are that are on the wall or in the annual report, how do they really come alive? And how are they being shared by the different employees? Because that then becomes the brand as is vehicled throughout the organization, into your stakeholders, and out through into the customers. 
I have this piece at the end where I talk about the brand tattoo test, which is not something I invented, but I, I think is really powerful. To what extent are you prepared to have a piece of the brand you work on today tattooed on your body permanently, independent of whether we're making abstraction of the idea that you like or don't like tattoos? Because you know, Alan, and I know that I won't be working at that company until I die. And by the way, the question is, can you stand the idea of that tattoo on your body, even when you leave the company? And if you can think that way round, then what does this company stand for that is also something that I stand for? Such that if it disappeared or I left from it, I would still look at that tattoo with glee, with fulfillment. And I think that's where you get that sort of that personal brand feeling. Where, you know, if there's a swoosh on my bum, only I can see it. But I, every time I touch my bum on that swoosh, I'm feeling that sense of Nike, you know, that, that can-do attitude. No, it's a very good analogy and test. <laughs> I doubt many folks that are listening to this podcast will be able to pass that test. And that is your point, I think. 100%. Yeah, I mean, it, it puts a whole new light on, are you working for the organization that aligns with your, your own personal values? Can you find that thread of connection that helps you be intrinsically motivated by the work that you're doing? All the, I mean, it's, it's quite powerful, actually. Well, it, it certainly has been for me, Alan. And I want to tell you a little story because the, the, the route into it, how do you actually make this happen? And there's this sort of, you know, you can wish it snap on a fingers and overnight it happens. Oftentimes, life-changing experiences have the tendency to sort of zero in the focus on what's important. And, and certainly that was my case as well. Yet, I didn't get there overnight. And so when I was running Redken, which is this professional hairdressing brand sold, generally speaking, only to through hairdressers around the world, 40 countries, I didn't really get it to begin with. So it was like the intellectual side of it. I was like, oh, that's really cool. That's really interesting. Oh yeah, I, I like that. I can relate to that. And the mission was earn a better living, live a better life. Okay, that's great. So we're making our hairdressers earn a better living, live a better life. And one day I was like, okay, so that's what we're doing for the hairdressers. But what about like our distributors and our employee personnel? Are they earning a better living, living a better life? And the point here is that we were work I was part of L'Oreal. So Earning a better life. Oh yeah, come and work for L'Oreal within the L'Oreal organization. Sorry, Redken within the L'Oreal organization and earn a better living. Uh, actually, I can't promise that because we work in a bigger organization, has policies, salary levels, and all that. So, how do you convert that and make that come alive as a brand within a large organization, which really brings into question the whole governance story that you have? And so, that was like, all right, all right, that's a challenge. How do we do that? And the second one was earn a better living. Oh, great. We're at a company where we work 12 hours a day. We slog it out. We slash it out all for the sake of the hairdresser, the customer, whatever. That's hard work. Uh, the living a better life thing. Oh yeah. That's for pussies. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, because you know, we're, we suck it up. We're hardworking. We're, we're really interested in the marketing challenge. Let's make a better ad. Let's make a better product. So for me, the, the interesting challenge was then to make that come alive and never perfectly, but that was what I wanted and what we, I think we really achieved within the L'Oreal organization was a culture that was specific and dedicated to that mission at a high enough level that people didn't roll their eyes and say, this piece of bullshit. No one is going to say it was perfect, but we really did a monumental step change to make that come alive from the inside out so that when a, an employee was talking to an independent contractor who was talking to a salesperson of a distributorship, talking to a hairdressing salon owner, so many layers down, everybody felt like they were part of the same mission for themselves and for their partners. 
I love that. I love the story and the sentiment behind it as well. One thought I was having as I was reading this book is that there's a element of having to unlearn a lot of how we've historically either thought about leadership or thought about organizations and how they run or, or our role in them and how they're constructed. Do you agree with that, that there's a bit of unlearning that needs to be done such that we can move forward? So I think the, the, there's definitely, yes, the answer is yes, there's definitely stuff we need to unlearn. But like back to the consultant story, you can't unlearn everything. I mean, you know, P&Ls are P&Ls. And you need to be profitable and you need to perform. And then if you have shareholders, you need to satisfy them. Otherwise, your stock goes to hell and you're fired. So you have to be somewhat practical. And we live in, in, in reality. I mean, I'm not a man of faith, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a deep Christian and stood up against the Nazis in the Second World War, his version of faith was we are based in a world of reality. So the challenge is moving from some sort of dogma of or like a tyranny of an idea into the reality that's there. So I, I think that we are in a situation where we have an opportunity to make branding different because brands now communicate with customers in so many different ways. We have an opportunity to make our lives as employees within a business better because, hey, if you can fulfill them and make them more energetic, where they have more access to the discretionary energy, the chances are that they're going to deliver a better situation. And then riding through the pandemic, it's become patently obvious, which was fun for me because I, I kind of thought that before. Of course, I delivered the manuscript right before we went to lockdown, was that, well, actually, when we're at work, we're at home. When we're at home, we're at work. It's kind of the bottom line. We are one individual, and I like to talk about the tie to tie die story. Where before, and I was certainly part of this gang. You know, I put on a tie and I went to work, which essentially we maybe I, I lost the tie, but I still stayed work. And the challenge for me as a deadhead was going from the guy who wears a tie to a guy who can wear a tie dye at work, albeit in a sensible way, and still going after numbers and all the practical things. So in the unlearning thing is to unlearn the idea that work is work and home has no impact on work or whatever happens at home stays at home, like in Vegas, <laughs> right? So this is the unlearning, is the ability to bring your real self to, to work, including your emotions, the fact that you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I have ups and swings and downs and, and my wife will be the first to remind me. And by the way, that's got to be true at work. So unlearn this idea that there's a, there should be a, a barrier between your work and home and, and think about you as a whole congruent self. Are you consistently the same way you are with your friends, family, the cashier at the local store, your employees from the janitor to your boss? Is there a story that's consistent throughout that? And the trick, of course, is knowing where you do have your intimate private self, which needs to be kept secret, but not because you have that that you shouldn't be showing more of you and you know, sense of humor and, and, and crying occasionally or showing your vulnerabilities and when you fuck up and admitting it. Right, right. Well, as I was reading, I mean, there's so much of this book, I think that if I were sitting, let's say at the top of the organization or near the top of the organization, I, I feel like I have much more at my disposal. And I'm curious if, if you feel like that's true. And then how would you advise kind of middle management folks, if you will? What do you feel like we can control or how we can live in the spirit of you lead? Great question, Alan. So my feeling is that if you 
can spend some time, carve out some time. There's something everybody can do, especially today, to figure out who you want to be. So the issue with the, the top people where they fall down on their face often is that they have sort of crafted a career of success. They're, they got the big title, the 2.2 kids and a swank car. And that's, that's what they wanted. Yet they haven't figured out who they are. And worse than that, they've surrounded themselves by people who aren't giving them tough love, who aren't pushing back, who aren't saying you're full of shit. You're not you, you know, kind of yes, yes men type of attitude. What they need to do is actually think about their legacy, because if they haven't done that at that time, they have less time to do it. And that's why you see so many people that go from being a banker to being a charitable, you know, running charities and all that, because they've realized their entire life has not been dedicated to something that's meaningful. And then all of a sudden they need to catch up and say, oh, well, that didn't actually turn my boat. I was like, you know, doing a job. I was getting the big paycheck. I got the sweet, the cigarette boat and much more, but now I'm going to give back and now I'm going to be a good person. Well, I think that life should be all about constructing that good person from the get-go. And when you're a middle manager, therefore, you have more time to do it. The question you need to ask yourself is, who do you want to be? And so if you want to be the CEO, why do you want to be the CEO? What's important to you? And if you can then dial into the kind of person you want to be, then, then every decision should be orchestrated around making that happen. And sometimes you might find that, hey, I don't want to be the CEO and being called out by the press every day and, and having to count to shareholders. I'm just happy to be where I, all right, then what's going to make you fulfilled within this position so you don't feel like you're frustrated or not getting to where you want to be? Because if you don't have a clear vision of who you want to be, it's very unlikely you're ever going to get to where you want to go. Very true. Very true. Well, I want to transition a, a titch to talk about the CMO. And as you know, I mean, the, the chief marketing officer is a tough job and there's a lot of... If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Wins, you know, one of which might be that you're the only person in the C-suite that kind of shepherds this voice of the customer. Most folks are focused internally on efficiencies or operations. Other things that unfortunately marketers need to know and deal with is historically, sometimes our perceptions have not always been great <laughs> for the ad people or the, uh, you know, and, and lack the business context or the connections to results. Now more than ever, it seems like CMOs are leading change and transformation inside companies. How would you think about advising a CMO on either building their trust with their peers or leading that change that they're trying to, they're charged with these days? So the CMO reports into the CEO and generally, right? Let's say in this situation. And uh, just like the governance question, you have to 
make do with that. So if the CEO has a strong and interesting personality, is it aligned with the brand? That's a question and therefore can become part of your challenge if it's not. Does the CEO vehicle the brand in an interesting way? And internally is so important. You were talking about internal efficiencies and everything. I think a a really important idea is not necessarily the persona exercise that we do for customers, being customer-centric, but it's more about the persona of the individuals within the company because they become the expression of the brand. It's not the ad 30-second spot or double-page spread in Vogue that is really talking about the brand. Yes, it contributes, but because now there's so many different ways you can interact with a brand through different channels, needing so many different parts of the company to, to work together, whether it's customer service, social media, marketing, sales, retail stores, whatever. So I almost think that one of the big works is really figuring out how to make aligned the way you are and operate internally with the way you operate and are externally. And the example I have, which I think is quite concrete, is for example, oh, well, we are really in our team. And this is, this is an example of also important for CMO is to be really dialed into the operational components of this. So that probably means going down to the customer service desk, social media manager's desk, and really understanding the nitty gritties of their job. When you have a policy, for example, that says, hey, we're really responsive because we're customer centric. Okay, great. What does that mean? Well, there's a behavior that, that could show that we're doing that, which means that we're going to be getting back to everybody within 24 hours. All right. So whatever message comes in from our customers, we're going to make it our policy, our strategy to be responsive to them within 24 hours. Okay, great. That sounds like a reasonable ambition, right? Whether it's on Facebook, on dark channels or or light channels, whatever. But if you don't have an internal alignment on how that communication will happen, then you're not going to make it happen. So I'll give you specifically, if you don't have a policy within your organization of everyone answering, for example, within four hours, then the chances of you answering robustly with effect within 24 hours is just next to none. Give you the case, you know, like a social media manager, there's a question that comes in, let's say we're working in a cosmetics company and the question comes in, hey, can you tell me what this molecule does in your shampoo? Social media manager goes, because they're going to probably be on the low end of the poll. I think I can't even pronounce the word, the molecule. Okay. So I'll send, I'll send a message to someone in the labs and I'll sign it, mentor, social media manager. The labs person gets it, but who's this? Who's this? Oh, I've got other things to do. I've got to do a new new product because the CEO has asked me to do that because I need to get this better, make more surfactants, this and that. Right? So that's what's important because the CEO asked me that. This other message, I'll get to that later. It's not strategic. Well, turns out the social media manager is left hung to dry. And so the point is then you need to have an alignment in the methods of your communication within and a, a total awareness. Well, hey, the customer is important. Customer's king or queen. And we need to get back to them within 24 hours. I'm the social media manager. Please help me. So like a CMO, you need to look at what you're trying to present on the outside and how congruent are you as, an, as a group with your behaviors and making that come alive within or throughout. Got it. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And you have to live the way that you want to behave. Uh, it gets back to your governance question as well. And also kind of takes me back to in the last year in particular with so much of unrest and just the craziness is COVID as well. Brands taking stands in on issues or whether they're political or not political. And in the US, we've had quite a time in the last couple of weeks with the transition of power. I'm assuming that this rings true. Just you know, We were just talking about the operational aspects of it, but the whether or not a 
brand chooses or a company chooses to take a stand probably has a lot to do with whether how well they know themselves, both as individuals, but also in terms of the company. Is that fair to say that not to venture lightly until you know the answer to these fundamental questions about who you are and who the company is? I think that's a safe precaution. If you don't, if you haven't done the work on who you are, the big risk is you just end up saying, yes, 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 I want to hashtag this, hashtag that. And and the end of the day, A, first of all, people can, you know, you're not, you're full of shit. Or then who are you? You're everything. And the issue at that level is that that's just a, a fast track down to mediocrity, following in the footsteps of everybody else, not being genuinely doing things for years before because you're just trying to do everything, please everybody and be nobody. And that's such the issue in so many, for example, fashion brands, they kind of have a great dress or a great piece of accessory, but for the rest, they don't stand for anything. There's no value associated with them, nothing. So, but yes, they, they'll have a model that might walk down the catwalk that looks like the issue we're talking about, whatever it is, but they don't do it within. So that they're a brand that hasn't really figured out who they are. So you're like, your point, go lightly until you've figured out it better to do and then talk rather than talk and then do. Yes, very true, very true. Well, I wanna ask one last question before we transition gears. And just what would you like to leave listeners with as they you know, contemplate their own journey to unifying both their personal and their work selves? It's tough work. So I, I wanna sugarcoat this. It takes time to think about it. It's iterative and it's good to have close people who are prepared to give tough love on it. So it's not just like, oh yeah, that sounds great. And push back and help you sculpt it. And it's a journey. It's not a destination. Like for, just so you understand, I have, I'm now 56 and I had a few life-changing experiences that sort of, you know, bolted me into this idea. But my encouragement is to not wait until you have some shitty experience happen that says, oh, life is short and what I want to do things that matter. Start on that journey now, give yourself the time, understand that it's going to take time and it won't be perfect, certainly right away. So I went on a journey. I started actually doing this, Alan, in French. I was in Paris. I got somebody to help me who gave me tough love, a guy called Clément Boyer, and he helps structure this. So I ended up with a sentence that said, all right, that's what I want to be. Then I should have to translate it into, into English. And every word mattered to me. So you, and, and, and contextually had to feel right for me. So I've ended up with this sentence that says, oh, I want to be known for elegantly elevating the debate and connecting dots, people, and ideas. And that's, that's me. And I use the word elevate, and I want elegance, and dots, people, and ideas. So every word is calculated in that. It's mine. It could fit for other people, but I've, I've sculpted that and changed this around. I had, use, I had gracefully before, and, and oh, no, 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 I want to go to elegance. It's more interesting to me. And although my daughter's called Grace. <laughs> and how can I make this come alive? So how do I visualize every part of my day, how I'm doing a little piece of this? Because I'm not trying to do it all the time. And then when I'm at work, this is the, the killer part, is that except that you need to try to find a link between who you want to be and what you are doing at work. And if you're not fully satisfied, maybe there's something going on. There's a, a dysfunctionment. And if you're not prepared to take the gamble, the pay the price of leaving, then don't be unfulfilled. Don't just understand that that's the choice you've made. That was a long, long answer, eh? No, that's good. That's good. I mean, and, and it, everything we do is, is a choice, whether it's to do nothing, that's still a choice. <laughs> and sometimes it's the best choice, right? Because you've got to have 
food on the plate, and that's your survival technique. And so don't berate yourself for taking no choice. Just recognize that you did not take a choice. And then therefore, and that's in the news model when you do the North, East, West, South story, is when you go down to the South in this model, it's saying, what's stopping you from getting to be the person you want to be? And it, are you prepared to pay the price that it's going to take to do that? For example, well, I don't really like where I'm working, but I'm not interested in changing. Okay, so you're not prepared to pay the price of being scandalously unemployed or working for a lesser brand because you know it was prestigious there. I'm not happy, but it's prestigious. And so sometimes you say, well, I want to stay there because that's what I'm going to get my satisfaction. That's what I think I'm going to get my satisfaction. Until you dial into it, then if you're not prepared to pay, then you need to adjust your north. And then there's a chance that you'll be more fulfilled because you're not striving for something that you're not prepared to pay the price to get to. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. And it reminds me actually of a, a professor I had once that was more of a, he had a, a full coaching business as well. And that was his primary job, not, not teaching MBAs by any stretch. But we had this prioritization exercise and I can't quite regurgitate it here because I, I need to look back at my notes. But in essence, the thing that was funny is, and I think picks up on what you're saying is that as you reevaluate what your priorities are, like, what, are you willing to do these things to optimize what you think you are, you start to find out, like, am I really who I think I am? <laughs> or do I really want the prestige that comes with where I am right now? And that is who I am. And, uh, you know, that tension of, of what do we think who do we think we are versus who are we um, is kind of an interesting conundrum to figure out. When you, when you um, dig in on that, the area that, that helps also illuminate all that is to think about your top three values, which is an exercise we do in branding. But there are roughly 75 values you can choose from. So ultimately, that means that lots of brands are going to have a lot of the same values, especially if you just limit it down to three. And then the question is, well, let's say you like innovation and integrity and family whatever, your three values. Well, then how do you make those specific to you? And the exercise that you, I, anybody can do, which is going to help you to understand why your North is important, where you're going and who you want to be, is to illustrate those values in behaviors that are specific. So my version, my three values are love, courage, and honor. Okay. Lovely words, right? Ah, oh, great. All right. Well, actually, but what do I mean by love? Because there are books written, <laughs> there are lots of books written on love. So what does it mean, love, for me? What does it look like when I'm behaving in correspondence to the love that I feel is important to me? And once you get that, then those three values expressed as behaviors, then you link that into how and the link in with what your north is about, who you want to be. And if there's congruence there, that I want to be this person elegantly elevating the debate and connecting those people, love, courage, and, I, and honor. How do they fit in? What's the story there? And if it fits in for you, great. But if there's yeah cracks in the link for you, then hmm, opportunity to check it out. Reline. Because your values should be really who you are and are immutable. Your north, that's an adjustment. It's a journey. You maybe got it right. Maybe you got it wrong. Maybe you're still extrinsic. You're not thinking about your deep down personal things and, and linking it into something that's going to motivate you through thick and thin snowstorms, pandemics, and shit. And, the, and until you have that, your navigation system is going to be always blown off course by the shit that happens, the bad winds, the, the unexpected events. And then you get thrown off course. And it's, of course, as a result of that, that you never get to where you want to be. Great advice. Well, I want to I want to switch gears. And um, as you know, I feel like I've been getting, we've been getting to know you through this entire conversation. And we have another episode that people can go back and listen to as well. 
And so I'm going to mix up my questions a bit for listeners. And I would encourage you to go back to episode 150 and, and hear mentor mentor talk about his, himself and the, the things that have made him who he is today and things like that, that I love asking. But I know you are, like you just said, you're, you're true north of elevating debate and connecting dots and people and ideas. And I know part of that is socializing with others. Curious, I mean, this has been a really tough year for a lot of people, but in particular, if if being social and, and having debates and interactions is something that you value, how, how have you been doing? And have you, have you found some adjustments that help you do those things? Yeah, I found, so I was saying at the beginning that my energy is lower, but one of the things that really helped me is when I have deep down conversations with people and it can be in, in big groups, small groups, but generally where there's a, an ability to be sharing out in the open. And at the end of that, the effect for me is has systematically been some deep level of energizing me. So I have a few friends I can do that with. And it's really interesting. I think uh, Clubhouse, for example, is when you create the environment, just audio is really interesting. The strategy I've had over the last 10 years has been to always try to give out some kind of valuable content, <laughs> hopefully a little bit in this conversation, and to meet somebody new every day. And that's part of connecting dots, people, and ideas. And within that, I used to, I still do, I always color in those appointments, whether it's a, now a Zoom call or you know a pint at the pub, green. And so I call those my green people. And so obviously when you're locked down, that's just a shitload harder. So you're just not like I have a bank load of business cards that I can just tap into. And yet I don't also agree with just accepting everybody who links with you on LinkedIn because your network is who you are. So what I've done is I'm using a fantastic system. I really recommend it. Anybody who would like to meet interesting people and have a deep conversation on your time that you can schedule is use lunchclub.ai. I don't know if you know that one, Alan. It's absolutely fabulous. I'll send you a, uh, I have a, like a, whatever, a, um, if I send you my link, it's like a, you're not getting any favorable and I'm not getting paid for it. But it, it, I think it's lunchclub.ai forward slash mentor. And then what you do is you write in your interests. They link you up with people with common interests according to the time slots that you're able. And that's how I continue to have up to five green appointments every week. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, it sounds like a great, great service and system. I'll have to def definitely check that out. Well, I have one of my newest silly question that I ask folks. I'm curious to get your get your thoughts. It, has there been an impactful purchase of $100 or less for you in the last 6 to 12 months? So, it has to be under 100, eh? You could stretch it if you wanted to. All right. Well, I have a big stretch, but it's just uh it's a kind of um it's a holistic stretch, if you will. And it's been having uh, an iRobot. So, an automatic robot that goes around and vacuum cleans the flat. Here's why that's interesting. First of all, for my wife, who has um, physical impairments, that's a complicated task. And two, because we're locked down, we're living inside a lot more. Therefore, we're generating a lot more mess, human stuff. So having an iRobot that we can just flip in and do kind of daily is, um, is really useful in a lockdown world. I will add one, one other, but that costs hundreds of dollars, right? I have another one that's been useful to me because my sanity goes also through my ability to sweat and work out and uh, no no clubs, no nothing. I've had this, li uh, not life-changing, but <laughs> saving thing, which is uh, I've been having, I'm, I'm older, right, Alan? Issues in my calves when I go running. So I bought some some compression socks. I, I, 
Raymond or Rymo for 20 bucks. And uh, that saved me some extra injuries on my calf muscles. There we go. There's an under $100 version. There you go. Cool. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, I want to ask two last kind of marketing-ish questions to, to end out the, the interview. I've always asked, you know, if, if people follow brands or causes or things like that. I'm interested to hear from you, though, switching this up a, a little bit. Is there a company or a brand that you'd love to learn from or you just want to fix? <laughs> it's just curious. I'm definitely curious about how Clubhouse is going to make it. What business model? Do you, do you, are you on Clubhouse? I am not, actually, no. Well, talk to me afterwards. But it's, a, it's an awfully interesting experiment. I think it, it says volumes about the value of audio and how we, we don't want to always be on video. And I think that there's a, there's a burgeoning need for that kind of, not silence, but that kind of interaction. That's a sort of curiosity thing. The brand that I would like to fix is Brand America. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm right there with you. Probably not what you're expecting with that one, but it's, you know, when you live overseas, it's just a, it's quite, quite the experience. Mm. Well, and I, listeners will know, I've, I've, I've mentioned that like my frustration and, and frankly, like me and my wife, we love when, when we can, right. When we're not in lockdown, love to travel internationally and, uh, uh, yeah, we, we've thought about like, is there a way for us to get a Canadian passport so we don't have to pull out our American passport when we travel internationally? <laughs> oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. Yes. Yeah, it's, it, it's real. And the thing, if I were to build on, on your answer from my own perspective is I just, I want country to find its way again, to find, find a way. We are the United States of America and it's the United part that is broken today. So. But united around what? Yes. Well, that, yes, that, <laughs> there's some deep soul searching we need to, uh, we need to go back and, and figure out. I think, I think we just kept moving forward as Americans do always forward. Never looking. Yeah. Do, do, do. I think the, the issue is a little bit more BBB and who do we want to be? And, and in this, I was talking about conversation element and the energy that comes from having deep, meaningful conversations that you can learn from the other person, except that you're wrong sometimes is something we need to be doing as a nation everywhere, actually in Britain, France differently, is our ability to reach over into the other side, not in a you're wrong, I'm right kind of mode. Because if, if uh, 74 million people voted for Trump, there's got to be a reason. And if we're not dialing in on that, like they're wrong, they're the stupid people, they're the wackos, and I'm, I'm the you know, perfect person, that's just not a place for having conversation and have a little bit of truth serum, or at least some kind of self-awareness serum on that side of the spectrum as well. It's easy to look like that's the, 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 the better, better position. It's more, you know, it's more human. We love people and everything, but these other folks have got something going on and we need to dial in on that. We need to create environments where we can have that conversation. Who do we want to be together? Yeah, 100% agree. 100% agree. Well, last question for you, more again from a marketing standpoint, is there, what do you feel like is either the largest opportunity or the biggest threat that marketers are facing today? Biggest threat is burnout. I see it here all the time. And you were, we were talking about the CMO earlier. Yeah. It's like a 16 legged pony. <laughs> it's not a centipede because that would have been, that's an obvious one. It's just it's not possible and you can't do everything. So finding the route through, link it up into the strategy of the CEO because that's what he or she has prescribed and, 
And, and you need to fix that. You need to make the CEO a hero. And you also need to find your team and make heroes of the people who know how to do things ahead of you, which means taking off your ego head, because that just gets in the way so much. And then if you can find something where what you're doing as a marketer that taps into something that's deeper for you, then you're going to have the a greater like Bunsen burner engine underneath you. That's so, you know, that deep welling engine that keeps you going because it's a bloody marathon. And if you don't have that, because CMOs, you sometimes get them, they get in and out, they're fired and hired, but they, they just become hired guns and they don't take the time to tap into what's in it for them at a deeper level. Yeah, yeah, it's a great mission. I love this. They sell donkeys. I want to help donkeys. Yeah, but why? How is that really going to be part of you? Well, you see, when I was younger, I went to Ecuador and a friend of mine lived in a house beside me and he was rescued on a donkey. He'd fallen in, right, or whatever. That's a, a realer story. There's a, a mission. You're going to tap into that as you go through it. I'm just obviously being completely abstract. But if you can find something that's more deeper, not just like an intellectual exercise and a great paycheck, then that's going to be helping you to f- get through the burnout because- I see so many people tired and, you know, as you get older, it doesn't come any easier. (laughs) Oh my God. Well, Mentor, it's been fascinating as usual to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It's been a sweet pleasure, Alan. I always enjoy, you have such a, a reposing voice. You ask wonderful questions and your guests are great. So thanks for doing the work you do. Thank you. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. 